So this morning we're continuing in our new series that we've started at the start of the year on fruitfulness. What it means to be a fruitful follower of Jesus. What does that mean? And so we've been uh, starting to unpack that a bit. And this morning we're going to be uh, uh, focusing on peace. What it means to know the peace of God. Why is it so important? And so we, the title this morning is A Body at Peace. And so I just want to read uh, a verse, one verse actually from the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, and this is what Paul says. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And that word is like, um, the word rule is like the word umpire or referee. So let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. I don't know if you've uh, seen the new film, The Darkest Hour, and, uh, about Churchill and the early uh, uh, years, in the, just before the start of the Second World War, and how Churchill came to uh, uh, be... Uh, uh, Prime Minister came to lead the country and uh, it started it went uh, uh, the film didn't start but the actual moment went back to uh, Neville Chamberlain the famous words by the Prime Minister at the time Neville Chamberlain who'd uh, had uh, a meeting uh, with uh, the uh, uh, the Nazis and he came back and he said there's peace in I talk about peace in our time peace in our time just uh, total unreality in terms of, as we know now, in terms of what happened after us. But he was utterly convinced that there would be peace in our time. And it's the, it's the thing that we all want, isn't it? We all want peace. From prime ministers to Miss World contestants when they're being interviewed. What is it you'd like? Peace in our time. That's what I'd like. In a poll, if we had a poll in this building today of what we wanted above anything else, I think peace in our time would come high up on the list. And yet despite all our talk about it, we never seem to get any closer to achieving lasting peace. If you think of all the failed peace plans for the Middle East. The American singer-songwriter Don McLean said this, Washington has a large assortment of peace monuments. We build one after every war. <laughs> Into all this, the Bible has a, has a lot to say. The Bible wants to speak to us this morning. God wants to speak to you from his word this morning. The Bible is relevant to us today. In 21st century Winchester, God is going to speak to us this morning. You see, all of what we hear people say is as old as the hills. The prophet Jeremiah summed it up when he, he said, people are saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. One of his contemporaries, uh, a, a guy called Ezekiel, compared people who promise peace to those who paint a flimsy wall with whitewash to make it appear strong. We'd call it papering over the cracks. You see, humanly, world peace is a pipe dream. And at an individual level, the lack of peace in our lives is an epidemic. 
In the workplace, levels of stress, anxiety, fear and depression seem only to increase. I came across this quote in the Financial Times a couple of years ago. This is what it said. The constant buzz of texts, emails and tweets mangles our brains and stalks our sleep. Work appears insecure. Expectations of professional life have changed. The upshot, we are afflicted with unease, fear and worry. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that feels like? Maybe it's like that for you at the moment in work. Consequently, the new buzzwords in the workplace are well-being, mindfulness, digital detoxing. Sadly, when those words of you are used, they can leave us feeling the problem is all with us and it's nothing to do with the workplace. You see, none of us enjoy feelings of fear and anxiety. Neither do we love stress that's brought on by relational conflict when we stop getting along with people. H.G. Wells once said this, The time has come for me to reorganize my life, my peace. I cry out. I cannot adjust my life to secure any fruitful peace. Here I am at 64, still seeking peace. It is a hopeless dream. If we Google the question, we're going to find a plethora, loads of theoretical answers without any guarantee of success. And most of what you read is gobbledygook. The Bible tells us a different story. The Bible gives us an answer. God is peace. When he created the heavens and the earth, there was perfect peace. He created us. He created you and me in his image. That's what the Bible tells us. We were created by him and for relationship with him. The fruit of that relationship was peace on earth. What happened next reads sadly across the pages of the Bible. The Bible gives the grim details of our rebellion. Peace was lost. Our sin, our rebellion against the God who created us and loved us. Ever since we've strived for peace, something that's unattainable by ourselves. You see, the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. Rooted in our determination to live without God, the God of peace. From our perspective, we can't solve the problem. And so the great news of the Bible is that God stepped in to sort it out for us. He amazingly made a way to restore relationship with himself. God did it off his own bat. With no help from us, God did it. The God of peace sent his son, the Prince of Peace, to restore peace. God became a man to bring peace on earth. That's the wonder of the Christmas message. God became man. God's plan was to bring us back into the path of peace. And if we want to live fruitful lives in these days, 
then we need to know God's peace. We need to know peace. And the answer is only found through peace in Christ. Peace in Christ. Real and lasting peace is achieved through a person, not through a program, not through self-help, not through reading the right books. Real peace, lasting peace, genuine peace starts from knowing Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says this, Therefore, since we have been justified, made right through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the wonderful news of the gospel. God was pleased to reconcile, to bring us back into relationship with himself through Jesus by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It's only possible through Jesus. A holy God cannot overlook sin, our rebellion. Can't turn his back on it. He's holy, he's just. His kingdom, his reign is established on justice and righteousness. God can't overlook it. It must be dealt with. And so we all stand in a place of facing God's justifiable anger for turning against him. That's what the Bible says. God, knowing that we can't deal with it ourselves, he stepped in to deal with the problem. He sent his son to take the punishment that we rightly deserve. That's why the Bible focuses so much on the cross and Jesus' blood being shed on the cross. It may sound gory to you, but that was the only way our sin, our rebellion could be dealt with. We can have peace with God if we put our personal trust in Jesus and we can receive forgiveness from God. It can be your experience today. I don't know where you're at. I don't know how you've come in this morning. I don't know what baggage you've come in with. Maybe you've come thinking, I'm interested. I'd like to know a bit more about God. Maybe you've come in and someone else has brought you and you feel switched off. You can know peace with God through Jesus Christ. It can be yours today. There was a Japanese soldier in Guam in the Second World War. When the US troops invaded, he hid in an underground shelter. He hid from the American troops. He found leaflets declaring, he found leaflets declaring that the war was over. But he hid in a cave and he only came out at night. He read the leaflets. He could read them. They were in Japanese. He read them, but he didn't come out. He didn't come out because he didn't believe what he was reading. He didn't believe what was the truth. Knowing the truth sets you free. That's what the Bible says. Through Christ, the war is over. There can be peace with God. You can know peace with the God who created the heavens and the earth if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal trust in Jesus Christ. It can be yours. And the New Testament goes on to say that if we put our trust in Jesus in this way, we are now inextricably linked to him. We are now, the Bible says, in Christ. Jesus himself said this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you'll have trouble, 
But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is saying in him we can have peace. In him. In relationship with him. We can have peace. We can know the peace of God. Real and lasting peace can be ours. The book of Hosea says our fruitfulness is in him. It's not about trying harder. It's not about passing the peace test. If that's true, why is it that so many of us who are followers of Jesus struggle? It feels like sometimes there's a, it's like a volcano in our hearts. We paper it over and everything can look peaceful on the outside. But under the surface, there's something bubbling under the surface, like a, a rage and an anger and frustration on occasions. And, and, and if there is, God wants to deal with it this morning. Because if you don't let God deal with it, at some moment it's going to burst out and then it will be messy. Peace is more than just the externals. It's what's going on in the heart. You see, the Bible says that we need to live in Christ. We need to live in Christ. That's the answer. Every day, God has given us his Holy Spirit. And he wants us to be daily, continually filled with his Holy Spirit. And if we do, we will exhibit the fruit of his Spirit, the fruit of his presence, the peace of God. We will start to know and increasingly know the tangible presence of God with us in every circumstance. Something happens in the heart. See, the problem, the heart of the problem is the human heart. And God deals with the heart. He gives us a new heart. That's what it says in Ezekiel. God gives us a new heart. Takes our old stony heart and gives us a heart of flesh. A heart to love him and follow him. And he wants us to be people who listen to what his spirit says. God has been doing a work in me for many years and he's still working on me. And every morning I need to know the presence of God with me. I need God to help me. I need to know his peace every day. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing news? Peace with God through Christ. Peace in Christ. But there's more than that. Not only can we know peace in Christ, we can know peace in community. You see, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica, and this is what he says to them. Live in peace with each other. Live in peace with each other. He expects them to live in peace with each other. He clearly expects them to be able to do it. His argument is peace with God must outwork in peace with other followers of Jesus. Because if, we're, if I am in Christ, if there's something that's happened, I now belong to him and he's my Lord and that's true of you, then we have no excuse not to be at peace. No excuse at all. But he goes even further than this. In Romans chapter 12 verse 18, Paul says this, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Everyone. Well, what about that person who said that to me? Everyone. Yeah, but but, but Steve, what about everyone? Uh, everyone. Oh, tricky. Paul says we must make every effort to do what leads to peace. Every effort. Well, I'll try a little bit. No, no, no. 
every effort. Wow. It's a high bar. God wants us to understand how radical his peace is. And so in the New Testament, it talks about the biggest social divide in the church in Paul's day. And it was between Jew and Gentile. Paul simply says that because of Christ, there must be peace between them. Listen to how he puts it. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace. For he himself is our peace. Who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of his hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. By which he put to death their hostility. And if that's true, and that was a true for Jew and Gentile in the first century, and it, it then must be true for all of us in every generation. Faith in Christ trumps every dividing wall of hostility. And over the centuries, we've seen many. Hadrian's Wall, the Great Wall of China, more recently, the Berlin Wall, the Iron Curtain, the Bamboo Curtain, apartheid, every form of segregation. We must make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We automatically have it. We automatically have it. That's what it's like, isn't it, sometimes? Peace. It's like, isn't it, we're, yeah, yeah, it's really peaceful at home. And then suddenly war kicks off. Taking pot shots at one another. Taking pot shots at one another. How often do we do that? How often do we do that? That's a humorous picture, but it's so, it's laughable, but actually we know there are moments it's like that. We're like in the trenches, and we're just taking pot shots at others across the no man's land, the wasteland of broken relationship. We must pursue peace. I said at the beginning, peace must rule in our hearts. Peace is the umpire. Peace is the referee. Peace is the... I want you to get this. Really want you to get this. So there's a difference between football and rugby. It's more than the shape of the ball, okay? So in football, what happens? The referee is hounded. He has people hounding him. So when something happens, they're up in front of the referees. Come on, ref, did you see that? Come on, ref, you've got to give a penalty. Ref, book him, book him, ref, come on. Oh, ref, he's diving. People are trying to con the referee. They pressurize the referee. They gather around, they're trying to intimidate him. The crowd do the same. You don't know what you're doing. That's how they treat a referee in rugby. It's really different. In rugby, actually... What the referee says goes. I watched a game last week and one guy said something to the referee. He said, ref, are you going to give him a yellow card? Ignored it. And then you heard him on his radio talking to the guy a little later. He says, next time you ask for a yellow card, you'll get one. End of story. He said, yes, won't do that again. The referee, they respect the referee. What the referee says go. The Bible says peace is the referee. 
yeah, but you don't know how they treat me. Ref, come on, come on, you know. They, uh, do, you, do you see what they said? Peace is the referee. And we are like football players too often. Hounding, we don't, we don't, li- you know, the Bible says peace is the referee. That's it. That is it. There's no wriggle room on it. And if we're going to need to put things right relationally, we need to do it in an attitude of peace. I tell you, it's challenging. It is challenging. We need to submit to peace however we feel. Let me give you an example. In Philippians chapter 4, at the beginning of Philippians chapter 4, there's a passage and it's talking about two ladies who've fallen out. And they're characters in the church. They're well known. They've worked alongside Paul. And Paul names them in a public letter that's going to be read out to the church. It's for public consumption. He raises a private matter between two individuals. It's so bad that it's had a serious impact on the church. And Paul wants to publicly address it. We don't have any idea what happened. We don't know who said what or who did what. We just know that the church knew about it and Paul did. There are moments like that with us, don't we? When we know something's kicked off. We sense it. We, we get it. Paul says, what Paul's saying is that's not acceptable just to leave it. Paul pleads with them both. He doesn't say who's right or wrong. He doesn't identify who needs to apologize. No doubt they both thought they were right. I haven't been involved in in an argument where I didn't think I was right. Annie. Honestly, I did think I was right. I was wrong, but I did think I was right at the time. There isn't an argument that I haven't thought I was right. Really. And there isn't, that's true of you. When we get into it, we always think we're right. And that causes, that's, half, that's where the problem starts. You see, both were under the same obligation to make the first move. Paul doesn't try to act as a mediator. He doesn't sit on the fence and say both are partly right and partly wrong. He doesn't talk about the issue. He doesn't sum up the arguments. The most important thing to him was peace. He even asked an anonymous person in this letter, a loyal yoke fellow he calls them, to help these two women who worked alongside him. Maybe, just maybe, he leaves the identity unknown. To remind us that it's all of our responsibility to get involved in those situations when we see stuff like that happening. But Paul gives the antidote. And here it is. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Yeah, but you don't... Yeah, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Because the Lord's near. Yeah, but but let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord's near. Present your request. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about anything. But present your petitions and prayers with thanksgiving to God. And the peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That's it. 
That's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Pray with thanksgiving. Bring it to God. And God's peace will guard your heart. It's not about just having the conversation and getting it sorted out. It's God's peace in our heart. That's what we need more than anything. It's peace. Peace is the referee. We can know peace in community, but we can also know know peace in our circumstances. Nicholas Ridley was a bishop in the 16th century, and uh, he's going to be executed for his faith. He's he's a follower of Jesus. He's going to be martyred, and he's going to be burnt at the stake, and he His brother offers to stay with him the night before his execution, and this is what he says. I intend to go to bed and sleep on quietly tonight as I ever do. He said, I'm going to know a good night's sleep tonight. How could he say that? He knew the reality of the peace of God in his heart. Isaiah says, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Peace is more than just the absence of strife and arguments. Peace is about something, about knowing the wholeness and well-being of God in our lives. That's the Hebrew word means shalom. How can we experience it? Well, here's the key. Jesus is with us whatever's happening. Whatever. And we see this, there's a moment Jesus is, we see this quite a few times in the New Testament. So Jesus says to his disciples, we're going to the other side of the lake. They get in a boat, he falls asleep. The boat goes across the lake and, and, and the, the, the language the gospel writers say, in this moment it says a furious squall kicks off. The language is sort of saying it's almost like the devil's trying to finish Jesus off, trying to sink the boat. It's sort of got, its roots are in Opposition. The devil's trying to stop them. So this storm kicks off. There's waves coming over the side of the boat. The wind's blowing strong. The disciples are panicking. Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat. He's asleep. And they're, they're like, what's he doing? And they, Jesus, Jesus, wake up. And Jesus wakes up and he just goes, peace, be still, be still, peace. He speaks to this storm like it's a dog. Sit down. Stops. And then, having rebuked the wind and the waves, he rebukes his disciples. We were talking about this earlier. James was just sharing something about it. And he said, you know, Jesus rebuked them for their lack of faith. And the disciples are then afraid again. They're fearful again. They're afraid of this person in front of them. They sow something of the fear of God in that moment. Oh, even the wind and the waves obey him. They suddenly have a revelation of who Jesus is. What we need today is a revelation of who Jesus is. If we know who Jesus is, he's the one that calms the wind and the waves. He still speaks to wind and waves today. He still speaks into your circumstances. You need to have a fear of God. You need to know him, know who you are in him, know he's present with you. Is that not true? It's true. And so when they get to the other side of the lake, they get there. One of the gospel writers talks about they land in the the land of the Gadarenes. And uh, they get there and there's 
Two demon-possessed guys come towards them. One of the God, Matthew says. In, 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 in the other, Mark, it says it's one. But two of these guys come towards him. And it says, no one could pass that way because of these guys. But Jesus has said, I'm going to the other side. And he gets there. And these, there's opposition. And he just goes, he just speaks. And the way opens up. We need to know that he's with us. If he's with us, it makes all the difference. We need to know that he's alongside us, whatever is happening. He is with us. He promised to never leave us, to be with us to the very end of the age. That is his promise to us, and he is with us by his Holy Spirit. That's why every day we are welcoming him into our lives to be with us. We want to know what it is. When Paul says in Galatians about walking in step with the Spirit, we need to know God's Spirit with us every, every day. And if God's Spirit is with us, do you know what? The wind can blow all it likes. The waves can do their worst. People can say whatever they like because Jesus is in the boat. He's in my boat. Is he in your boat? Is he in the boat of your life? Is Jesus in the boat of your life? If he's sleeping, it's okay because he knows you're going to get to the other side. He was able to sleep because he knew they were getting to the other side. And if he's asleep, that's cool. If he's in your boat and he's asleep, that's fine. That's all you need to know. He's in the boat. He's with me. I don't need to worry or be anxious. This is fruitfulness. Finally, we can know peace in conflict. God wants his peace to guard our hearts, to garrison our hearts and minds. That phrase in Philippians chapter 4 Alec Mottier in his commentary, referring to that phrase, he, he, he talks about it like it's like a besieged city. Garrison. God's peace wants to garrison your heart. You may feel besieged. God wants to garrison your heart. You see, we are in a battle. If you're a follower of Jesus, there is an enemy to the kingdom of God, the devil. He wants us to, uh, he wants to blind our eyes to the truths about God. And so we live in a, a society, particularly in the West, where God is, God is ridiculed. The devil is, is just a, a cartoon character. The devil loves that. We live in a world where we see the fruit of evil all around us. What we're looking to see is the fruit of the kingdom of God, real fruitfulness. That's what we want. There is an opponent there's an opposition. He's not God. He can't even compete with him. His, his end is certain. His doom is settled. But he's doing everything he can to mess up your life and my life and this world around us and the communities that we live in. We live in a war zone and we don't even realize it. In the battle of life, Paul says that we need to stand firm. And after we've done everything, we stand. The only sure foundation is Christ, our relationship with Jesus. That's the solid rock on which we stand. This is what the psalmist says, he lifted me out of a slimy pit, a slippery pit, out of mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. 
He put our feet on a rock that is higher than ourselves, the psalmist goes on to say. That rock is Christ. Paul says to the Corinthians, Now it is God who made both us and you stand firm in Christ. He goes on in the book of Ephesians to talk about having feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I'd always just assumed that that was talking about us being good witnesses of Jesus. And it is in part talking about that. But it's more than that. This passage that Paul in Ephesians 6, Paul is writing about a battle situation. He's talking about being, uh, 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 putting on the armor of God because it's about warfare. And we need to understand a little bit about the Roman soldier's uniform to make sense of what Paul says when he talks about uh, having our feet shod with the uh, uh, preparation of the gospel of peace. The Roman soldier had leather boots or shoes that he used to wear. And underneath there were studs. It had studs in it. The shoes had studs in it. Why did they have studs? Because they didn't used to fight battles just on nice, warm, sunny days where the ground was solid. They would fight in any weather. The ground was often, a battlefield was strewn with bodies and opportunities to fall over. And so they needed to stand firm. If they fell, they were finished. It didn't matter how big a sword they had or what size their shield. If they went over, they were done for. And so they needed to stand firm. They needed to be able to keep their feet. They didn't want to be like those when you go ice, see people on trying to walk on ice and the path's a bit slippery and they're like that. You cannot fight a battle like that when you haven't got firm, your feet on firm ground. Peace, this peace coming comes from knowing that God is in control. That he is the great king. That he's in the boat with us. And when we know that, we can stand firm. I ain't moving. I'm going to take up the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. God is with me. I'm not going to wobble on this. I'm going to look to him. I'm going to focus on him. Maybe you feel that you're under huge pressure at the moment. Maybe you feel your feet are slipping. Well, the psalmist says this, As for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, he says in Psalm 73. And then he says this, Until I went into your sanctuary, until I went into your presence and I saw you. What gave him, what gave him surety of where he stood? And then revelation of God. If you're struggling at the moment, you feel your feet are slipping, you need an encounter with you need to see Jesus. You need to fix your eyes on him, the author and perfecter of your faith. Isaiah says, we can grow tired and weary. Even young men can stumble and fall. Young men can stumble and fall. It's easy. It's not an age thing. We can stumble and fall. What do we need? We need to know God. He's the everlasting God, the God of the heavens and the earth, the God who loves us. Are we at peace or are we sliding around? You see, this battle is all about the gospel. This battle is about the gospel because when we're standing in the peace of God, actually we are declaring by our standing We trust God, and this is the God who controls all things. And anybody who looks on 
they encounter the gospel. It's a seed of the gospel. If you're telling people about Jesus and you're falling all over the place and rolling around on the ground and full of anxiety, what does that say? When we stand firm, that's the first part of our declaring that Christ is alive, that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if he's on my side, I'm safe and secure. Whatever you do to me, whatever you say about me. Amen. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Do you want to live a fruitful life in these days? I do. I want to live a fruitful life. What's God saying to us this morning? He's saying we need to know peace in Christ. Do you know that? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Well, maybe this morning is the morning for you. Allow him into the boat of your life. Maybe this morning you know him, but actually you just feel like you've been swamped. Everything's coming all over you. It's the wind and the waves, and, and, and it, feels like, it does feel like Jesus is asleep. Well, he's, a, he's asleep, okay, because he knows he's going to get to the other side. He said, we're going to the other side. I'll never leave you. He wants you to know that's enough. Trust him. I tell you, he has never let me down. I have let him down many, many times, but he has never let me down. In the worst of times, he's been the best of saviors. He's been the closest of friends. We need to know peace in community. Peace is the referee. No, 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 peace is the referee. That means the peace of God has got to come first and foremost above and beyond anything else. And that will mean us dealing with our own hearts sometimes before we deal with issues. Do you get it? Peace is the referee. We need to know peace in our circumstances. We need to see him. We need to daily be seeing him and encountering him. Our eyes fixed on him. How do you fix your eyes on him if we never spend time in his presence? That's why we focus on worship. That's why we give us space this morning, the quietness. Sometimes we don't like quietness. It makes us feel uncomfortable. We like to fill our lives with noise and stuff. And be still and know that I am God. God wants us to know peace in the conflict. Whatever's going on, he'll see us through. Those two demonized guys, no one had ever gone that way before while they were around. Jesus shows up, straight through. If he is with us, nothing is too difficult for him. This is what Paul says to the Thessalonians. Maybe the bands could come up at this point. Now may the Lord of peace. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Let that sink into your hearts. Now may the Lord of peace, 
He is the Lord of peace. Himself give you. He's the one that gives us his peace. It's not about what we do. It's about him. May he himself give you peace at all times and in every way. I think that covers every situation in this room this morning. The Lord be with all of you. That's it. The Lord be with you.